Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome everyone back to another Friday morning broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? I'm great. <laughs> Let's do the entire broadcast. I don't think I can. Voices. I, I think if I tried to keep it for the entire time, I would lose my voice. I could do my Casey. K- I could do my uh, Shadow Stevens voice. Yeah, you could do that. Hi, this is Shadow Stevens. <laughs> this is Tracy Pearson. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, last night, UCLA um, in a truly. Uh, uh, Interesting game. Uh, beat yeah. ASU 74-62. Little bit deceptive. Little bit of a deceptive final oh, yeah. score. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I would say from a from a um, an uh, crazy result compared to the how the majority of the game went, it actually did surpass Colorado on Saturday, um, which they won by fourteen. Um, and then uh, we also want to talk about football recruiting. But let's start with that basketball game. Um, uh, I was thinking a loss with about 10 minutes to go. Just looking at all the factors. They weren't. They were playing okay defensively. They weren't that great. ASU was hitting a lot of shots. Just didn't seem like it was going to be their night. It was a tough road crowd. A Dembona looked kind of taken out of it by the crowd. Uh, the refs were calling a super tight game. Uh, I've never seen so many traveling calls in a modern basketball game, uh, which is 100% a refereeing issue, everyone out there. Not a, oh, these guys are just suddenly forgetting how to play basketball. Except for a Dembona because he did travel. No, no. So here's the thing. All of those calls were technically travels. The thing is, no one calls it. No one but calls the, it anymore. His were so agreed. There was one. Dave. So okay, he took like four steps. All right, there were sometimes. two. There, were, I think he had three calls. Two of them were egregious. One of them, he does what everyone does now, which is changed his pivot foot slightly at like uh, the top of the key, and he was going to dribble. Like his 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 motion was starting to dribble, but his pivot foot move, pivot foot moved first. No one calls that. No one calls that anymore. The, but once he's been once he's traveled so egregiously they were just watching i guess my point is there were like nine or ten travel calls in this game it it it, it renders it be if you it's all a damn bonus fault if if you want to say if you want to say uh they should call this all the time that's fine they don't so if you suddenly start calling something that is never called 
it's going to make the game unwatchable because these guys are used to playing a certain way. Anyway, and it was happening on both sides. ASU was getting weird travel calls too. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, the game itself. Um, weird one, Tracy. Weird, but fun. Uh, really fun to watch. Yes. I mean, that was an excite. If you're talking about you, you watch college basketball for excitement. That that was it. From so many standpoints, uh, the ASU crowd. You, you could feel the electricity through the TV. Um, so a lot of credit to that crowd and their student section. Uh, and then the two teams just uh, playing good defense for a lot of the game. ASU played very good defense for a big portion of that game. They had a couple of breakdowns beginning of the second half and then the last six minutes, but played good defense. And then, see, you said I was thinking they were going to lose uh, heading into the last six minutes. But, see, we, we got to start redefining our opinion of this team because the last 10 minutes, last six minutes is when it's crunch time for them and it's when it's winning time for this team. It's when they turn it up, change things. Other teams are getting tight. Um and it just flipped the entire yeah. Switch I thought I'd already built that into my calculus, but yeah, I, and, and even I know, with but that, it's so impro- even it's with so that, improbable. I was like watching yeah. this and like, man, they're hitting like that one shot um, where it went front rim and then bounced again on the front rim. <laughs> Frankie Collins is three, yeah. who's shooting like twenty four percent from three, and it's just like, oh, okay, they hit a half quarter, they hit that. It's like, and then it wasn't even just and that. DJ Horn, anything he was, th- and he does this a lot. I've watched him enough. He just throws stuff up and it goes in, and it's beautiful. I mean, so you think you put the, and then and then they had that other guy, uh, Nunez, who literally had his coming out party. Yeah, that drive that he had on the Dembona was pretty brilliant. Actually, no, oh, totally. So, well, and they yeah. were, and that's the other thing is that they were making a lot around the basket too, and it was hard shots. They were making a lot of hard shots, and I guess you know at a certain level, I'm just like, ah, oh, they're just gonna keep making them, and then they didn't. Um, and a huge part of that was UCLA. You know, it was a little bit deceptive two ways. I thought their defensive effort wasn't quite as good as it was against Colorado. ASU was also making a lot of hard shots, and then in the last six, eight minutes, uh, the defensive effort went up a little bit and ASU stopped making any shots and the the end result was what was it It was 60 to 58 ASU uh and then it was 74 62 UCLA well we've seen this what happens with this team um they came out and I think they were a little taken aback by first the energy ASU was playing with and their athleticism uh you would say that was a more athletic team um, than, than UCLA, uh, they were uh, taken out. A couple of guys were taken out to begin this game. Jalen Clark, completely offset by uh, the uh, older Cambridge. Adem Bona looked disoriented by Washington. And, and I, I see it. I mean, Washington's 6'11", six, six, 7 foot, long, athletic. Uh, Bona was a little shocked that that dude was blocking his shots, yeah. I think. So he was rushing. And so you got Jalen Clark, who's kind of being taken out and disappearing beginning of this game. Jaime Hawkins gets that second little push foul. That, okay, all right. Yeah, let's sign up. That was, yeah. okay, that should have been a flop and a, like a technical on the other guy. Uh, he didn't really even push off. Like if you watch it from the, so if you watch it from the back angle, it looks like he was, you know, shot from the rafters. But if you watch it from the front angle, 
Jaime's arm, it's like his backhand. Like, he, he's he's literally just like... He's hurting. very strong, Dave. And But they were just clearly hunting him for his second foul at that point, which is like smart coaching or whatever, smart whatever, but it is such a cheap and, and, and you know, unsportsmanlike thing to do. It's the exact well, same say, thing Car- you know uh, Carecreesa did last year where... Um, yeah. He stops in his tracks, so Jaime just runs over him uh, in the middle of the game. And it's like, you don't do that stuff. Like, what are you but, doing? But, yeah, but later in the game, um, Tiger Campbell uh, <laughs> drew, drew a flop. <laughs> now, Tiger, it was a flop. It was too excessive. But Tiger Campbell committed a foul. Yeah, it was a foul. <laughs> I, I thought he, he just shoved him, and that might have been makeup. The refs in their mind are always, even if they don't admit it, they're trying to balance things out, and they're probably saying, yeah, that was a ticky tack foul on Hawkes. And so they called that flop. It was probably more critical to have Tiger Campbell remain, not get in foul trouble than. than Jaime Hawkes, because this is my segue to Tiger Campbell. Damn, <laughs> damn. I, we say this a lot. I don't. How many times have we said that that's one of his best games in a UCLA uniform? Jaime Hawkes uh, gets a, picks up his second foul. He's pulled. Uh, Jalen Clark, second best scorer, is non-existent. Adembona is his brain is is just not there. Tiger Campbell decides I'm going to have to score. Now everyone knows what Tiger Campbell's going to do. He's going to come off a pick. He's going to dribble into the lane. He'll do some kind of step back or something. And they could not defend it. I mean, it wasn't really that much. I mean, Frankie Collins, what do you do? How do you get around that pick? It was a matter of ASU not being able to defend their bigs or whoever, whoever was picked being able to, to just go out and show on Tiger Campbell to make sure he doesn't get that mid-range shot. And they didn't. They could not defend that. And we all know what he's going to do. So you got to give him a lot of credit. Th- that was the worst thing ASU did defensively. And and that, I mean, if you want to say there's one thing that really uh, kept UCLA in this game, it was Tiger Campbell's ability to get in the lane and score. Yeah, yeah, and I thought they made some mistakes. They probably should have put some more length on him um, at some point. They tried at times, though. Dave. They, they, they switched. Yeah, no, it, it, he was he was making everything. Um, yeah, this is this was probably his best um, shooting game from mid range uh, this entire season for sure, um, and absolutely kept them alive for long stretches um, when, as you said, nobody else was scoring except. Except, well, well, wait. Twenty-two points he scored without making a three. Yeah, a lot of free throw trips. So this is something I want to see more out of uh, Tiger. Is and it's tough because he's small and you know he could get you know getting into traffic and getting hit a lot is not ideal with a guy his size. Um, but he's got such a nice free throw stroke, and um, he's he's kind of clever in the way that he can sell a foul. Um, he should be doing that a little bit more because uh, he. Had, I think he's always done that pretty well. I nah, think his free throw. He's the master his, of jumping into his free throw. Guy in the air. His free throw rates down this year. He needs to be doing it more. Um, but uh, he's he had nine free throws in this game, uh, which is you know that was a free throw rate very very high. He only had eleven field goal attempts. Um, <laughs> that's amazing, right there. That stat. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's 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 very good. Um, David Singleton, um, 
I, I think he'd missed, what was it, nine straight threes, something like that, coming into the game? Yeah, nine in two games. Yeah, uh, he made four of six, and uh, I'm still unclear. I, I would love to see the full angles on the uh, – I think somebody finally had a photo that his foot was – Someone had a photo. His foot, his foot looked like it was on the line, the right foot. But he was he was very nearly five of seven from three, um, which is, you know, that's that's pretty good. And each one of those felt like it was a really big shot. Uh, each one felt like, oh, yeah, that, that absolutely needed to go in. Um, that corner three in the second half, I can't remember how much time. That that was like four minutes. I think that was the corner two, wasn't it? It might have been. Yeah, yeah it was the corner two. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, he had 21 points. Uh, this was his uh, best game in a while. Um, and yeah, not even just the points. There were that, that sequence where he had two offensive rebounds. Um that resulted in points uh, where he kicked it out to Jalen Clark and then it went back in. Um, he, he was, he was, he was very good in this game, but um, wouldn't have anticipated that like Tiger Campbell and David Singleton would have been the key pieces in this game, given the athleticism for ASU. Um, but they were uh, absolutely. I, I could see Campbell because his matchup with Frankie Collins, he has an advantage. Yeah. I think compared to the other, some of these matchups. Yeah. I mean, the Cambridges are athletic guys. <laughs> yes. Yes. As is Washington. Uh, it, well, damn, Washington. Wow. I, let's just talk about ASU for a second. Um, let's, give them a, let's give them some credit. Uh, how many transfers are on this team? Uh, I it's mean, almost entirely he, transfers. Uh, yeah, he slapped together this team, which usually means, and in their, in their most immediate history, some bad chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. So Bobby Hurley puts together this team – and this this is a good team. I mean, I, I could nitpick a couple of things, mostly down the stretch when UCLA is <laughs> has the experience, the Final Four experience. They're they're a tempered team. They, they've been through it all. They know when to really bear down. ASU didn't didn't do that clearly. It was a matter of UCLA stepping up its defense, but ASU started to break down a bit, taking a little bit, uh, not as good of shots. Uh, DJ Horn didn't score <laughs> after scoring 14 points in the first half, didn't score in the second half. Uh, they, they were disrupted by UCLA's defense, but re- really not. I mean, it was a good defensive effort. UCLA turned over the ball, uh, turned them over five times in the last 10 minutes, but ASU just wasn't up to, to that level of crunch time. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I don't think they had um, – I don't think they had – so here's what I'd say is, and I think this is what it comes into with transfers. I don't think they had a good sense of what their identity needed to be in crunch time. Like, who do we get the ball to? What do we do with it? Um, you know, what's our plan? And I think it's – part they just kind of play – and this is, I think, stylistically, I think it's what they're trying to do. But they play kind of this loose – Lucy goosey kind of up and down style, which just doesn't play well when you're trying to do a. Um, That's a really good point. Last five minutes, that doesn't you don't do that unless unless you're making everything. And if you are making everything, it's fine. But they they stopped making every shot. And at that point, well, what's your next thing? What's your go to? Are you going to bear down on defense and turn some things over? Are you going to, you know, run some clock, run some offense, run some plays? And it just didn't seem like they had that thing they didn't have the the okay we're going to give it to Jaime up top and he's going to create something or we're going to give it to Tiger and he's going to try to create something off the bounce and do a little step back thing they just don't have that 
that that final piece and that might be created i i, I agree with you i think asu is actually uh pretty good flat out ncaa tournament team. yeah i think at this point you'd have to say so the problem for them is they don't really have a resume they've got the wins but they don't have a resume and they really could have used this one right now? um i think they're probably going to be in but um they're like their profile is not great even though they're 15 and 4 it's not super great um they probably need to get one or two pretty good wins down the stretch here and that means you know if they could beat washington state on the road washington on the road next week that would be good um you know if they could take one of arizona ucla or usc on the road at the end of the season that would be good but i i think they're a tournament team they should be 44 net yeah, that's borderline. That's bubbleish. That's borderline. They were thirty nine, so they're hovering right in that in that area. And UCLA is up to five. Quad quad one. They're three and two. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So yeah. Yeah. And quad one and quad two combined, they're six and three. So that's pretty good. I, they're in. I I think they're in unless they completely collapse. All right, Joe Lunardi. <laughs> Don't ever call me that. God, Dave, that's that's like one of the most insulting things. Yeah, well, I had to do it. Um, yeah, so that was a it was a really good game, and obviously it was the bigger matchup of the weekend. Uh, hopefully they can stay up for Saturday. Um, you know, maintain their poise because you know it's it's going to be hard. You've got that big emotional outsurge against ASU, obviously the more critical opponent of the weekend, and then you've got to maintain some level of energy for Arizona. You know, yeah, it's um, difficult along those same lines. The, besides Jaime Hawkes, who was in foul trouble. And Dave, let's put a pin in talking about um, uh, Mick Cronin's I, um, theory of not playing anyone with two fouls. So I want to get back to that. You don't want me, but, you don't um, want me to start screaming about it right now? Dylan Andrews. Yeah, buddy. Um, so Jalen Clark and David Singleton played 38, 39 minutes. Tiger Campbell... A kind of a soft 34 minutes. I know. What's going on, Iron Man? Um, <laughs> uh, that's great. Yes. Uh, obviously, with how much energy he expends on both ends, you need to get him a little extra minutes here or there. Dylan Andrews was was critical yeah. last night. Yeah. Um, made some mistakes, but <laughs> plays plays at a level – uh, that's going that that he can hold his own at this at this level, especially the athleticism part, uh, which I'm still which I'm without, still totally blown away by. Even it. hesitating, hits that three. <laughs> I'm still and and that mid range jumper in crunch time. Well, so, it, it, can we talk about his shot because it never looks like it should go into me because he really I think it it looks like it should go in every time. He, I love his stroke. It, you no, don't no, like his stroke? The stroke is fine. Watch his feet. His, he starts jumping, and then his feet land like two feet forward of where he started his jump. And 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 what's my point? Is that <laughs> is that not what you should be doing? Is that what you're? It's just if anyone's it's so in front of him, to he's going to draw a foul, Dave. It, it goes in every time. It's amazing. Um, but he's uh, yeah, no, he was incredible, and I'm still blown away. I mean, you you mentioned it kind of offhand, the athleticism, because this was not. This was not the scouting report on Dylan Andrews in high school. Like, and, and, and I was the one who provided a lot of that scouting report. I watched him for two years. Yeah. 
He's not this guy, and then he, he wasn't is. this fast. He, well, it's, he wasn't he, this quick. Wasn't this fast? I used to write about him. Wasn't this quick? We would, wasn't this yeah, explosive? Ahead, no. He, <laughs> and, or this good defensively. This quick defensively. That dunk. Either. That dunk was insane. I was like, oh, what? Yeah, you better not lay that in. That's going to get. Oh, damn. Yeah. yeah. And then can we talk? I don't think he said anything. I he definitely watched, said I he really definitely well. said something. I, I okay. But I love McCronin. Uh, what did he say? Asking the ref. What Cronin so composed. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what was great too was after he got teed up and Andrews is coming <laughs> he's coming back to the bench. Cronin's going crazy, right? Andrews thinks it's on him. And then you could see Cronin look past him to the ref and Dylan Andrews. <gasps> but then Cronin gets under control and he says, what did he say? What did he say? And you could, the, the ref didn't have, a, obviously, we, we don't have that mic'd. But the ref didn't look like he had any explanation for that at all. Yeah, that was incredible. And yeah. I don't know, like, obviously it should have been a foul on the ASU player. Oh, absolutely. Um, for, you know, reckless uh, endangerment of a uh, fellow player on the floor. He didn't jump toward the ball. No. He jumped toward the player. No, and grabbed the rim. Like, there was just a lot going yeah. on on there that, like, that none of that is stuff you should be doing. Yeah. Um, but Dylan Andrews. Yeah, that was that was that was huge. Uh, he was uh, he was incredible in this game. And it was important because. You know, Will McClendon in his seven minutes, and this was kind of similar to, I think it was the Colorado game, might have been the Utah game, I can't remember, they're all blurring, uh, just not very effective in his minutes. Um, yeah. And, you know, those two guys, they're going to be, you know, kind of as as many a thread on our message board as opined <laughs> at this point. They're going to be kind of thought of as, you know, uh, peas in a pod in terms of who's getting the more minutes uh, when one of them isn't playing. It's really critical that one of them plays well. Um because they do need at least one of those guys to provide real bench minutes in basically any real game while Amari Bailey is still out. Um, so this was a huge performance from Dylan Andrews. Now, of course, um, this team could lose. I don't you remember so? when they did. <laughs> but they absolutely could lose a game. When? I mean, uh, uh, they, I mean, they could lose. I mean, a big, big letdown spot tomorrow, obviously. Yeah. Because Arizona, but, but you know, I'm that's a team is, that's like, you know, they've, uh, yeah, they've, they, they're still okay, you know. Yeah. But this team has the mental makeup, the kind that sh- we've always said: the NCAA tournament is six random uh, moments of luck. <laughs> uh, I'm mean, North Carolina last year just was hot as hell in the tournament. As all UCLA fans know, where are they now? Uh, so the tournament is all about: uh, Are you putting it together? Um, are you hot? And are you just are you are you just lucky? But what also serves you in the tournament is playing good defense, and also if you have that kind of grit toward the end of the game of of where you you just want to win this game, and and instead of. Uh, your team falling into disarray, you come together with focus and toughness. And that's what this team does. So, of course, they could lose. They could very well have lost the two of the last three. I mean, with the with the way they set up the last 10 minutes. But, dang, you have to give them a, a chance to win any game. 
given this kind of collective character and and just intensity that they can turn it on at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I look. Uh, all jokes aside, we're talking about one of the best teams in the country. For my money, right there with Houston. Um, this is, I mean, this is an elite UCLA team. It is Mick Cronin's best team. I don't think there's any question about any of this. If there is in your mind, please uh, disabuse yourself of the notion. Uh, this is Disab- everyone go out and disabuse yourself yeah. for a while. <laughs> hey, hey, whatever you think is a good time. I uh, knew you'd love that. Uh, but uh, the guy who wouldn't stop talking about a Dembona for like six months. Whatever the name. Uh, but this is the best defensive team Cronin's had. It's right there with his best offensive team, which was probably two years ago. Um, they're they're really 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 good. Uh, now does that mean they're definitely gonna you know win title number twelve? No. Do they have one of the best shots in the last uh, 25 years? Yeah, they do. Uh, this year in college basketball, there isn't really a dominant team. Uh, there's no Gonzaga from two years ago to worry about. <laughs> there literally is no... Yeah, there might not even be Gonzaga in the tournament uh, at this rate. How many of you out there just... Of course, it's fun to enjoy a good UCLA team, but how many are you also having a special interest in the season because of... Duke and Gonzaga. Well, what's really fun? Raise your. What's really fun is to watch uh, Gonzaga and UCLA's opponent tomorrow uh, struggle in the exact same way for the exact same reason. Both of them still doing their up and down thing. They're still playing offense just fine, but just horrible defense. Horrible defense from both of those programs. If you're going to run up and down, you better play some defense. You better play at least a little bit. You better yeah. you better be turning some guys over. You better be rebounding your own glass. Like there, you got to be doing some things, and they're not doing either of those things. Um, so, but UCLA, um, this this is, I mean, pretty easily the best chance UCLA's had at an actual, um, you know, from from this point, from end of January, at this point, uh, yeah. best chance they've had since 2008. Um, to actually hang Banner 12. Um, so we'll see. I mean, they could – I mean, I'm joking about Arizona. They could lose to Arizona tomorrow. That's the toughest remaining game on the schedule. They absolutely could lose that game. Um, but uh, they're prohibitive favorites now to win the Pac-12. Uh, they're already, I think, a full game up in the standings, maybe two games now. Um, and two. If you if you look at the projections on, say, Ken Palm – uh, they're projected right now to win the conference by five games. Damn, that scares me when I when I hear that. They're projected but, to go yeah. eighteen and two with Arizona next at thirteen and seven. Uh, yeah. So obviously a lot of that can flip. Obviously a lot of it can, but still, um, this is this is one of the best UCLA teams we've seen in a long, long time. So okay, Dave, ready? Yeah, on your mark, get set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Go on the 
too foul thing. All right. Uh, one of Mick Cronin's major flaws as a head coach. I would. I was. Let's not call it a major flaw. Well, okay. Relative flaws uh, okay. as a head coach is. Um, so here's the thing. He's an analytics guy. He understands analytics. He supports them in a lot of ways. He's always talking about the Ken Palm, uh, and he always uses the proper definitive article for it for some reason. He calls it the Ken Palm. Uh, but one thing he does is he always sits guys with two fouls in the first half. Always. He is uh, among 363 teams in Division – yeah, 63 teams in Division One uh, men's basketball – UCLA is 361st in two foul participation in the first half. Uh, analytically, this is bad. Uh, the reason it's bad is because if you game all that out, event, essentially what you're doing is limiting the minutes of your starting players. That's all you're doing at the end of the day. You're not actually preventing them from fouling out most of the time. Uh, most of the time, you're just limiting their minutes. Jaime Hawkes played in that game... He finished with 28 28 minutes. minutes. He played eight minutes in the first half. So he played every single minute in the second half, but still finished well under his minutes average per game because he didn't play for all but eight minutes in the first half. And And how many fouls did he finish with, Tracy? Three fouls. There you go. Dambona, three fouls. So let me do the contrary. There's no contrary. Because I had this explained to me by an assistant coach on a West Coast team a few years ago Uh when we were out there watching AD basketball. Let me preemptively say they're wrong. Oh, they probably are, but I'm just saying this is the argument. He said that they had, and I don't know how they do this, but they said they're not preventing a player from fouling out. They're preventing him from playing with four fouls. That players distinctly play differently with four fouls. No matter how much you try to get them to, to play like just like they're playing, they play psychologically, they play different with four fouls. Um, he said that's what they're preventing. It's not the foul out. It's as soon as they get to four fouls, a lot of players, especially younger players, just can't play under the cloud of four fouls. That's what was explained. Do you know? Uh, do you know when players can't play? When they're is sitting when they're, on the bench is when they're on the bench. Yeah, uh, that's when they can't play. Um, that- you kind of though want to make sure you got Jaime Hawkes like in those last six minutes. Yeah. But I, I agree with you. I'm just, I'm, I'm doing the devil. So there's a few thing. different things. If you want to tell me that, um, uh, say Amari Bailey was still out there and he got two fouls in the first eight minutes that he needs to sit for the rest of the first half. Okay. All right. True freshman, the whole thing. I get it. Jaime, he's been playing a lot of college basketball. He probably knows how to play without fouling. In fact, we know he does because statistically he does it almost all the time. He should be, he should have played like another four or five minutes in that half. I'm not saying he should have played every single minute of the first half with two fouls, but he should have played a little bit more. Um, it probably would have rendered this one not quite the nail biter it was until the last four minutes uh, if he could have played more. Um, so the Division One average for two foul participation. Do you want to know what? Just so you know, just so you know, he he got that second foul at nine twenty one in the first half. Right. So he could have played. An, he could have played another five minutes. Well, see, that's the other thing too. Like you said, uh, a freshman gets his second foul in the first three minutes. Yeah, you got to sit him. Yeah, but a veteran getting his second foul at nine twenty-one—that's like the rate that you would normally get fouls. Almost. May, maybe take him out for a few minutes. Yeah. I, I get it. 
but but everyone's uh, there's such that stigma. Ooh, if he picks up that third vowel by half. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I get it. A Dembona, yeah. I, I get even, a, you know, a freshman, Amari Bailey. Well, somebody had a great... Is, is it that tragic if Jaime Hawkes picks up his third? Is he not going to be able to manage himself in the second? If there's a guy who can play with four fouls, it's probably Jaime Hawkes. And I'll say right? this. This isn't actually one of my big pet peeves. Like, I, I think for Hicks, it's actually a little bit more. Like, he gets ooh, a little bit more ooh. annoyed by it. Yeah. Uh, me, I, this isn't one of my big deals. Um, and I think it actually, and somebody made this point on the board and I think it's a really good one. It, it fits Cronin's profile as a coach much more to want to sit them. Because if you look at all of the like statistical indicators from what he does as a coach, it's control. He wants to control the variables. He wants to control the variance. It's why they don't shoot a lot of threes. It's why they want to run slow tempo in critical games. It's why he doesn't want to have, uh, you know, guys with two fouls out there because he wants to keep things under his control. If you if you let guys go out there with two fouls, it's not even entirely under their control whether they pick up number three. The refs, you want to limit the refs' ability to impact the game. Um, so it's all about limiting impacts from anyone else besides him and the players on the floor. Um and uh, limiting impacts of luck uh, because three-point shooting, while it is analytically better, while analytically you want to shoot more threes if you're a good three-point shooting team and UCLA is a good three-point shooting team, um, there's high variance. If you miss a lot of those three-point shots, they then you're going to you know have games where you go streaky cold and you lose to a team you shouldn't. Um, so there's just a lot of it, and that's why limiting turnovers is his number one precept. Because if you do that, if you give yourself a chance at a shot every single time down, and you turn the other team over while you're doing it, you know, it's just simple math. Um, so I think that's it, it fits him philosophically. It's just you would like a little bit more. I'm not saying he needs to be at the D1 average, which is 21% uh, two-foul participation, uh, but 0.6% is a little low. Like in key spots in road games at ASU at Arizona, Jaime Hawkins, your best player, has two fouls with nine minutes to go. He can play another four minutes. That's fine. How many uh, draft spots did that set back a Dembona? <laughs> I don't know that it did because he did. I, I knew you were going to say he that. he played better at the it. end of the game. Um, I think he was he was really really really. I, I think you had it right. He was I think thrown off by the. Because it's one thing to be told they've got a lot of length and they block a lot of shots. And then it's another thing, if you're a guy as athletic as Bona, who's been playing as well as he has lately, to feel them suddenly just blocking every one of your attempts. Um, and so I think it just took him a while to get adjusted. By the end of the game, though, I mean, he was putting some highlights together. Um, so I, if it had been all that first half, like if he'd played like that first half the entire game, then yeah, you might be right. But... We'll see how he does tomorrow. I mean, uh, the the Arizona matchup is not going to be a whole lot easier on the interior. I mean, they've got some length. Balo, Balo's going to be tough for Bona. Um, that's a guy who's bigger and longer. Um, so, you know, how's he going to handle that? Um, if he struggles against that as well, then I think you're probably, this is not a great weekend for him. But if he can adjust, and if he can play a little bit better against Balo, then I, I think it's actually a pretty good weekend for him. Yeah, um, 
I actually think he might do better against Bala than he did against Washington. Because Bala's not as uh, quick? Not as quick. And, and if there's anything that a Dembona does is out quick bigs. And Washington was right there with him, and I think he was stunned, and then he was intimidated. Yeah. So, but Balo, I mean, Balo's good, but he's he's a beefy guy. He's a big dude. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so anyway, we should all feel just really fortunate we get to watch this team. And the thing is, it does – what I like about this team is it – um, it does all the things that I like. Um, first off, they're just really gritty. They play hard. They play hard at the right time. They're tough. They're physical. Um, they play great defense. One of the best defensive teams in the country. Uh, I, right there, that's that's a huge chunk for me to be able to be a fan of a team or a program especially after coming through all those Steve Alford years Ooh. when none of that, <laughs> none of those boxes were checked. So that's, that's huge. Um, and I, I keep hearing so much criticism about the offense. And I, I like this offense. Okay, I, I confessed. Um, does it go one-on-one sometimes? Is it ISO sometimes too much for my taste? Probably, but I understand why they're doing it at times. It's a matchup issue. Um, most of the time, Jaime Hawkes is going to have an advantage of whoever he's matched up with one-on-one. Uh, most of the time, when he catches the ball in the post, he's good enough to even navigate through any kind of collapsing double team. So... I, I get why they do that. Um, so while that's not necessarily the basketball I like to watch, I, 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 it's checking a box for me because I understand it and it's the, it's the right strategy and tactic. So I just like everything that's about this program. Uh, and that makes me an even, okay, my job is to do this, analyze this, but it makes me a fan. Of, of watching this team, which I think is really rare. Back in the day with Howland, loved the defense, loved it. But I got to admit, the offense just was was painful at times. Um, so uh, we should all be very – and like what you said, running up and down, never been a fan. And uh, programs do that for a lot of reasons. Mostly it's – it's easier to recruit to that. No, no kids these days want to play a half-court offense, even though the NBA wants you to know how to do that. Um, they want to run up and down. They want to shoot threes. It's what they want to do, so it makes it so much easier when they say, hey, look at the tempo of our offense when you can show a recruit. Look at the tempo of our offense. And Mick Cronin's always trying to deflect that when he's talking publicly. But the way UCLA's offense is now geared, um, it's very good in the half court. And that's like what you said. That's what you need. When games are being won in the last 10 minutes, UCLA has that offense while it also is getting some transition scoring. So I think it's hit the right note offensively too. So, okay, that was just my... Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely. Um, the the offense, um, I mean, if you go by the the statistical stuff, it improved yesterday. 
Um, yeah, it's, I love how the Ken Palm just moves almost. It feels like it moves like every 20 minutes to me. Yeah, no, I mean, it does. They, they update yeah. it as the games go on, which is great. Um, yeah. And it provides real time kind of um, ability to, you know, uh, yeah, verify what you're looking at. Um, but it's the offense. Look, I can understand, like, you want to make an aesthetic argument, but I think people conflate their aesthetic preferences with effective uh like they they equate whether or not it appeals to their sense of what a basketball offense should be with whether or not the offense actually works and i think that's where it gets uh muddled because a lot of really good offenses have bad stretches like a lot of the the quote you know uh you know beautiful game type offenses have bad stretches where they miss a lot of shots but nobody's sitting there critiquing them at the level that you know the first whatever, 10 minutes of this past game might have been critiqued because the tempo is slower, so there's that. And then, um, yeah, when you're running uh, an offensive play for 24 seconds and it doesn't work out, uh, it feels a little bit different from a play that's run for 12 seconds and doesn't work out. But the same result is the same result, and most of the time, this offense is scoring. Like, it scores well over the 1.1 points per possession that is kind of the magic number for being a good to very good offense. Um, they don't turn the ball over. There's none of that slop fest stuff. I mean, if you were watching, um, God, what game was it? Was it was it Arizona USC before this, or was it? There's just so many games where you watch it, and it is just turnover, 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 um, and it's very rare for that to happen with this UCLA basketball team. They just don't do it. They play smart basketball. They pass the ball well. Um, they also crash the offensive glass really well. Um, and when you do those two things, you end up with more shots on offense. You end up with more possessions. Uh, and it's, it's I don't know, that's more pleasing to watch than a team constantly turning the ball over because they're running up and down the floor uh, and giving up lay layups on the other end. Uh, God, remember the turnover days. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, like, even uh, painful. Even some of Howland's offenses were kind of high turnover. Um, yeah. it, it, and I think this is, I mean, let me look at it really quick, but I think this is one of the best stretches of uh, turnover-free basketball. Yeah, and basically forever. Uh, it, yeah, wasn't it, I don't know if it was Bill Walton, someone was quoting in a recent uh, Pac-12 broadcast that, UCLA's turnover margin is the best. I think they said something like the best in Pac-12 history. Yeah, it, it should be. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. I would, I would have to imagine. I mean, right now, so Cronin's teams have been top twenty-five in turnover rate on offense uh, in each of the last three years. In the last two years, they've been top ten. Um, and think about that, because last year to this year, there was a lot of turnover among the guards. <laughs> see, see, turnover, yeah. Uh, but you, you lost Johnny Juzang, who was turnover-free. You lost Jules Bernard, who'd become pretty turnover-free. And they still maintained that level um, of not turning over the basketball. And it's hard to find in in the Pac-12 right now another program that's doing anything even remotely similar. Uh, it's just it's something different happening with, with Cronin's program. Um, and to me, it's very, very fun to watch. It's analytically sound. Um, it's very basic, but you shoot the ball more than the other team, you know, by 
maintaining your chance of getting at least one shot per possession and limiting their chance of doing so by turning them over, you're going to win most of the time. Uh, and you add in, you know, you sprinkle in some pretty damn good players, you're going to win a lot of the time. Uh, say 14 games in a row. <laughs> say. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. for, for sake of argument. Yeah. Um, oh, here's here's one, Tracy. Do you think they need to lose? It's a good question. We talk, we've talked about this over the years. Um, I always think a loss toward the end of the season is, is really good for a team aspiring to win a championship. Ben Howland was a big fan of losing the first game of the Pac-12 tournament, Pac-10 tournament. Yeah, no, I don't want that. <laughs> uh, I, you know, they under Cronin, they haven't, they haven't won anything Pac-12-wise. So I, I want regular season and tournament championship. I got to admit, I'm getting greedy. Okay, so which loss are you taking then? And how many more do you want? Do you want two? Um, what would be, I hate to say it, I'll curse it. What's the best loss remaining on the, on the regular season tomorrow. schedule? Tomorrow it's against tomorrow. Arizona. The problem yep. with losing to Arizona, though, is that you are still leaving them in play for the top seed in the West. So I think you got to beat Arizona. Maybe it's losing at a USC. Okay. At USC, at Utah, at Colorado. Those would be the ones I would eye. Let's go for at let's go for at USC. Oh, and you could talk me to at Oregon too. At yeah. At Utah. Maybe. Okay. So you want two more? No, one. Just one. <laughs> Just one. Okay. So you're looking at twenty eight and three. That sounds good. Nineteen and one in conference. That sounds play. really good. Yeah. Okay. Doable. Okay. You know what's funny is that actually is doable. That That is what's funny. It is It is a very funny thing. It's a funny thing that UCLA has a very elite program. We like it. And, okay, we've talked a lot about basketball. One more thing. <laughs> um, it's a really good team. It's a great team. It's his best team. It's It's not... It's not an incredible... I mean, they're, they're missing a guy, let's say, or two. Like some... A, a little bit better bench... They're missing. They're like a they're, like a five star freshman of some sort. You know what I mean. It's still <laughs> sometimes when they go out on the court against another team, you go, "Damn, they're a lot smaller <laughs> and not quite as athletic." But I mean, my point is that Mick Cronin is created a top four or five team with without like I think super elite personnel, yeah. right? I mean. There is no Wesley Washington on this team that's seven foot long, athletic. I, I mean, a Dembona is, but he's six eight and a half. Um, anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah. I agree with you. I think to an extent, um, I think this is this is and should be the makeup of his teams, pretty much every cycle. Um, like you know, it, it like who's good at creating for themselves off the dribble, uh, a guard or a wing? I mean, Jaime, uh, yeah. Tiger. Huh. You know, I guess they're okay, um, yeah. but uh, but this is still like, I think the picture of a team that has a bunch of guys who are able to do that is a different program. Um, I think this is the what they have right now should look like what Mick Cronin's best teams look like. Couple, I, I, of, see what I'm saying is, I think you in this paradigm you could plug in even more talent and take this to a whole other level. I don't know if you can. I, I think you can. I don't know if you can and still maintain all of the things that make this program great. 
I think there's think a level at which you can't just plug in a bunch of, you know, elite one and dones and say. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you can plug in more talent with the whole formula for building a team at UCLA, which means three to four year veterans who have bought in and are playing their ass off. But you could still improve the overall level of talent on this team. Okay. All right. Well, I gotta, I, we got to give everyone something to hope for. This can't be the, the thing to hope for is that they're going to win something huge this year because okay. they have real okay. chance of doing so. Okay. And down the line too. Yeah. And down the line because uh, yeah, as I just said, they lost like three starters from last year's team, and the team is better this year. Better. Yeah, that pretty much says it all, right? Yeah. There. Okay. We got to talk about football. Do we? All right. Uh, no, we fo- do. Fo- things are going well. There's a lot of exciting things with football. No, I'm just, I, I'm just. It's, it's latent. It's that uh, was, that was just a knee-jerk reaction of yeah. Uh, no, that's years that's the built past. Up that, that's the yeah. past. Um, wow. Yeah. So there's some good stuff going on with uh, football recruiting um, in just the last week. I think it's just in the last week. Uh, yeah, three three commitments within the last week. Yeah, so uh, let's start with the receiver uh, commitments in the transfer portal. Uh, J. Michael Sturdivant uh, from Cal uh, committed, um, and he's a he was a four star out of high school, four star in the transfer portal. And if you watched Cal, and just uh, we talked about this a little bit, but I just want to hammer it home a little bit more. If you watched Cal. Horrible, horrible football team and a horrible offense run by an ancient mariner of a West Coast offense nonsense person, Bill Musgrave, uh, with a bad quarterback. And Sturdivant was still like one of those guys who popped off your screen and you said, oh, wow, that guy can play. Um, How did he do that? I don't know. 70-something receptions? Yeah. Did anyone else catch a ball on Cal's team? And that was the thing is they had actually another receiver who's pretty good. The name escapes me right now. But that was the only good part of the team was the receiving core. Um, 65 gaps. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah. Sturdivant, uh, very, very good. Uh, and they picked him up. And then uh, just a couple days ago, three days ago, uh, USC former wide receiver uh, Kyle Ford committed to UCLA as well. Um, he was a five-star in the 247 rankings out of high school, uh, a four-star in the composite. He's only a three-star in the transfer portal, mostly because he dealt with a ton of injuries uh, at USC, lost most of his first two years uh, with the Trojans, uh, was productive enough two years ago. I thought this year, if you watched a lot of USC, which I unfortunately did, uh, he always flashed as a guy who, if they didn't have Jordan Addison and they didn't have Brendan Rice, and they didn't have any of the number of other guys, you know, the um, Mario Williams, the whole thing. If they didn't have all those guys, uh, Ford would have been a much more productive player. He averaged uh, a little under 19 yards a catch, uh, was a big play threat down the field, big body, uh, almost looks like a, almost looks like an H-back at times, um, tight end type, Uh but he's apparently slimmed down a little bit in the offseason already. Uh, but he's a guy who, if, you know, I, Sturdivant's going to be, I think, a, a, the number one. I think that's pretty clear. Kyle Ford, actually, body, physically, the way he plays, might actually fit more as a Bobo role uh, next year uh, with his physicality. Um, but this is two really good gets. Both are going to impact at the 
top of the rotation. Uh, Ford will have some competition, but Sturdivant's going to be the clear number one. Um, and huge gets for who, you know, what we're expecting will be Dante Moore starting for UCLA next year. So much to talk about for this. Um, I wrote an article about uh, how to basically pl- place a valuation on in, in the NIL world, how how NIL collectives and programs go about putting a value on a on a transfer. Um, I probably didn't title the article well enough because it, it sounded really general because that was my original intention. But everyone, please go read that article because since then I've linked it about 12 times when people say, let's just take them all. Um, that's not realistic. Uh, there are limitations in the NIL world. Uh, and it was, it's really salient with the commitment of Kyle Ford. As everyone knows, uh, the collectives control the NIL money. The programs do not. Um, it's it's amazing. One of the most amazing things of NIL, and there's a lot of amazing things, that it's just basically you know NFL free agency. And everyone's dealing in money, which was always under the table and illegal. So all of, all of that. But the power that the NIL collective now has, it is making... Now, I am talking generally. It is making decisions. It has to make decisions. It's, NIL collectives are talking to recruits and transfer recruits. Now, they can't legally say, here's a contract. This is how, how much we're going to pay you. But they can say, you would slot into kind of this amount. This is the kind of player we see you. And this is the kind of NIL money we could project that you might be able to make. So... Sturdivant was probably projected by the UCLA uh, uh, collective, NIL collective, to, to probably project to make a good amount of money. UCLA's collective, which is Men of Westwood, which is doing this work, um, doesn't have endless funds. It's only been around for about six weeks. UCLA donors are only starting to get on board. Because now they're excited about the Dante Moore signing. They're excited about, I mean, relatively two winning seasons of Chip Kelly, but mostly Dante Moore. Um, so they're only this collective is only starting to generate some some donor money. Um, so not unlimited funds. You would say, Dave, given the um, depth chart, when you plug in J. Michael Sturdivant without Kyle Ford, that was a pretty solid depth chart for for next season. Yes. Uh, Yes. So Kyle Ford from USC decides he's going to go in the transfer portal. He's going to look around. And of course, and there's this is no fault of his own. He's going to go see how much NIL money he can get. He needs to do this. The, The kid's been injured. He had an injury in high school, which set him back as soon as he got to SC. He's been injured. He, you don't know if you're going to make it to the NFL. He wants to see if he can make some money through NIL. So he's going to look around. And I can safely say that he was probably given some assurances from other programs of a certain amount of NIL money that UCLA um, did not give him any kind of feeling that he was going to make close to that kind of NIL money. 
but he made the decision to come to play at UCLA, to stay local, to play for Chip Kelly, probably to catch Dante Moore's passes. Um, it was a great, I mean, it was a pretty phenomenal decision that he did that. Most kids would just go off for the NIL money, which is maybe three times more than what he could make at UCLA. Um, you know, there's an advantage to playing at UCLA, higher profile, you're in a huge media market. I mean, the chances that you end up on TV somewhere are, you know, are pretty good if you want to do that. Um, so you have to remember all this. And there's so much more to consider when it comes to NIL money. And I, I brought it up in that article. If you go out and give away, let's just take wide receiver. You're committing a good amount of NIL money to a certain transfer receiver. That's kind of maybe your budget. Uh, I mean, you look at it as a salary cap. That's kind of your budget for receivers. Uh, then Kyle Ford comes along. You go, wow, we'd really like him, talented kid. But you you might not have that much money in your NIL fund. Um, plus, that money could be earmarked for some, for a position that's really important, like a left tackle. And like we said, the receiver depth chart looked fine. Um and that leads us to Gary Bryant, another USC wide receiver transfer, who was on campus uh, last week, a couple of days ago. Yeah, uh, had a from all we know had a great uh, unofficial visit. Uh, his father talked to our boy uh, Greg Biggins, said how much he could see his son fitting into the offense. He is now visiting Arizona this weekend. I would bet Arizona is probably probably telling him he's they have more NIL money for him. No, not faulting Gary Bryant at all that he would go to Arizona to. Is Gary Bryant an NFL player? Do you think, Dave? Uh, borderline. Borderline. No fault in him going out and making some money when he can. Um, so there's so many things to consider. With in the era of NIL and really with with we're seeing it so much more with transfer recruits. Um, so it was really really phenomenal that UCLA got Kyle Ford. Given coming off a of J. Michael Sturdivant, uh, how good the depth chart looked with Sturdivant plugged in, how UCLA has to manage the existing receivers. If you're if you're an existing receiver, you say, wow, all these transfers are getting NIL money. Could, could I maybe <laughs> get a little? Or should I go in the transfer portal and try to get some? Uh, managing all that. It's a complicated, it's a, it, you can imagine what the spreadsheet looks like, right? Yeah. Um, so there's a lot being done here behind the scenes. So far, UCLA is doing a really good job of managing this. Um, I might sound a little surprised, but you got to get a lot of credit to um, the NIL collective men of Westwood. They're doing a phenomenal job in managing that money, the collective NIL money. David? Pretty crazy. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's it's crazy. Uh, it, it's been such a big shift um, in football recruiting. Um the yeah i mean i think so receivers great um you know i think we both uh 
I think we're both pretty high on the uh, the uh, JC offensive tackle Caleb Walker, who also I think committed since we last recorded. Oh, that's right. Um, Dang, four. Yeah. Um, so I think you know I don't know that he's necessarily going to step in and start day one, and certainly uh, from what we've heard, probably not your left tackle, um, more of a you know right tackle or potentially a guard. Um, but important to get, you know, you need, you need a guy who can, who can plug in and play at a couple different positions and also, uh, fill out some depth. Um, so that's a nice get, uh, defense is still the big question. Um, you know, defense is still the right now. I would say I'm relatively confident that they can, you know, with quarterback play being the big question mark, they can more or less produce another top 15, top 20 offense. Like, I think they've got enough weapons now, you know, offensive line. Yeah. You got to figure out a couple of positions, but I feel okay about it. Um, defense though, right now it's hard to say they're, they're going to be too dissimilar from this past year. And obviously it's a lot's going to be dependent on, you know, what, um, what end up, ends up happening with Bill McGovern, but, uh, personnel is not changing drastically right now in the front seven. Um, well, first off, you probably feel a lot better if you still got uh, Kadera Kunta. I would. Uh, that is the Old Dominion left tackle who is on an official visit this weekend, even as we speak. Um, well, maybe a little early. Uh, yeah, I've watched two full games of him. And yeah, it's Old Dominion. They're not playing against anyone. But dang, really like him. Even even discounting that in, uh, I said on the board on the forum that I thought he'd be as good as Raquan O'Neal. Uh, yeah, no, he, he UCLA with Raquan O'Neal going to the NFL. There's a big hole at left tackle. I mean, I I don't even know how they would do that. They'd be scrambling in spring to to see who would plug in to left tackle. I mean, you'd have to think maybe it'd be like Siali Tapaki, which not a natural left tackle and, and limited playing time and coming off a season and ending injury. So yeah, he's big. And then you're talking about defense. They also have an official visit from East Carolina transfer quarterback, Malik Fleming, who I watched on tape two and is also very good. Very impressed with him, and it is East Carolina. I get it, but um, a veteran at East Carolina has played a lot of snaps. Um, their highest graded defensive player, according to Pro Football Focus. Um, both of those guys on official visits this weekend. The feeling is they're they're probably going to get both of them. Kind of, kind of afraid to say that sometimes because then everyone calls me out later when things change. But as of right now, the feeling is good. Feeling is also good about Keanu Williams, the Oregon defensive uh, line. They got to start transfer. shedding some scholarships, Tracy. Oh, uh, they have plenty of scholarships, Dave. Um, but it, it, your concern, valid one, is about the defense. I don't think I think they're going to get a decent amount of talent, uh, but it's also about the scheme. Right now, at this very moment, I'd say the 
the odds are that UCLA will have a new defensive coordinator next year. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. About it. We'll take it. But it, let's say they plug one in within you know a certain amount of time. Then post-spring practice, the transfer portal opens. They will absolutely have, if they get one, a new defensive coordinator by spring practice. After spring practice, the transfer portal opens up again. I, 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 there's enough to lead me to believe that the defense is going to look a lot different by May. Not just from what we've seen of scheme, but talent-wise, right. too. And right now, I mean, they've got a good transfer safety. They could get a very good transfer cornerback, which are two huge things, right? Right. That we thought they needed, that the defense needed. Um, so, yeah. I mean, there's – well, you know what, Dave? Then put this all in perspective and then judge it for the, the schedule that just came out. So, looking at the schedule, um, I, I it, it it certainly shakes out to be um, another easy schedule. I don't know that it's it's definitely not as easy as this past year, but you're avoiding Oregon and Washington. You get Oregon State and Washington State instead. Oregon State, Oregon it might be pretty close to a wash at this point. Oregon State's going to be really good again. Washington State, though, is a clear step down from Washington, so that's that's a positive. The non-conference slate, which we already knew, is you know should be a cakewalk um, or pretty close to it. So, you know, you look at it. Um, the 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 big thing is, you know, if you are starting a freshman quarterback, um, you know how the how the how it ramps up. And unfortunately, the first conference game is against Utah, uh, at Utah. So that'll be a tough that'll be a tough one. Um, but overall, I mean. It sets up for eight and four, nine and three pretty easily, it seems. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when I first glanced, I thought nine and three. Yeah. Uh, one other thing to point out um, coaches can be out on the road right now visiting high schools. Uh, it's, it's been so, you know, upstaged by transfer recruiting in the transfer portal which is now closed by the way it closed on the 18th everyone who's in the transfer portal can still be recruited but you could cannot submit your name into the portal now until may um and not be recruited if you're not in the portal but coaches are now out and they're out looking at traveling around high schools i'm going to come out with an article today um, I don't have the exact numbers, but I think I can safely say that Chip Kelly has visited. Uh, so the the period opened last Friday, I think, um, or Thursday. He has been out more in a week visiting high schools. And I think he did in the last two or three years <laughs> combined. Um, still, still not wearing a UCLA gear, but um, he has been out. And the difference is he's going to high schools that don't necessarily have he's not going to modern day he's not going to st john bosco well he is but he's going to other places too just for relations um you know you could uh, take away could be that he's he's energized about this um definitely paid off also ucla got its first 2024 commitment in christian dunbar hawkins a four-star cornerback from modern day 
Um, we'll take all the four stars that Chip Kelly feels good about. Um, I like him. I've seen him. I, I believe I saw him at a seven on seven, and I really liked him. So starting off 2024, well, Chip Kelly looks energized for even high school recruiting. What do you think, Dave? I think it's good. <laughs> I think we'll take it. I think we'll take it. I mean, you can you can belabor that it took us five years and that what is happening right now should have been year one or at least year two. 100% get that. Dave and I are on board with that. But from this moment, the straightest line to success right now, Chip Kelly is now constructed that straight line as opposed to you couldn't envision it before. Now you can. Yep. So you can derive a little bit of hope and not just knee jerk saying you don't want to talk about football. Way to way to put a bow on it, Tracy. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. All right. Well, I think that's fair enough. Uh, hey, wait, I want to say interview your interview with um, the one on one interviews that we're getting the exclusive bro interview. Bro exclusives. Courtesy. Man, you're doing a you, you, you just knock it out of the park, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. it. Well, it's, I, if I didn't like you, I'd like you. Oh, well, that's that's delightful. Delightful. Yeah. To hear. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, when it's your personal hero, uh, David Singleton, that you're interviewing. <laughs> I mean, yeah. What can you do? Are you guys like going out for a beer? Maybe. Or something? Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? You know, I was in the shower, Dave. I just thought you might might have called. Um, <laughs> just do the answering machine scene from Swingers over and over. Yes. Again. Yeah. Yeah. How many times you ever watch that movie? Of course, your lifetime. Uh, got to be at least a dozen. Yeah. yeah. Babies, all good stuff. Yeah. The, the golfing scene is still the, um, I, I think the quintessential. The three like, par? The 22-year-old dudes trying to go out and do like a, a putt-putt golf course. That is that is the quintessential scene. <laughs> There's so many good moments. There's so many good moments. Just uh, uh, Vince Vaughn in the, in the diner yeah. is... Yeah, Just. it's it's a, if you haven't seen that movie, Heather uh, Heather Graham too. Yeah, when he, that pickup scene. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pickup scenes ever in a movie. It's so good. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. Enjoy the Arizona game tomorrow, and we will talk to you again next time. See y'all.